All right, good morning, everybody. Raise your hand if you're not sick. That's what I thought. Oh, really? I'm really happy for y'all. I sound like John Corson today, so you don't know who, maybe you don't know who that is. It's really funny if you knew who that was. Um, yeah, we're all sick, so don't shake my hand today. This morning we'll be in Job chapter 31. We'll get 32 and 33 done also, I hope. Um, and we'll get moving through God's word here. Lord, we thank you for this morning and your word. We thank you for the time we've had in song, in the study of your word now, and then also in communion after. And we pray that you bless every aspect of it. We thank you for all those who got up early this morning and were practicing this worship team and the audiovisual guys and just working on everything to come together and we just thank you for their dedication and their heart. Um, even when they're sick, they're up here, and, and I, uh, we appreciate that. Um, so, Lord, we pray that you heal everybody up that's sick, um, protect everybody else that isn't, and uh, uh, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, in chapter 31, Job finishes his little discourse here, and we get into um, the brilliant words of Elihu. Elihu is the youngest of the bunch. He, uh, he's been holding his tongue and his, his thing lasts five chapters long. You know, the other guys could tone it down to about a chapter and a half, but when he gets his opportunity, it's five chapters. And the first chapter is him telling us he's about to talk. It's just kind of funny because that's about the value of it. It's like, I'm about to talk. Please listen. My words are anointed. Please listen. The words I'm about to say are so important. I hope you listen. And he goes on and on. It's like, dude, you know, I can tell already you don't have much to say. So we'll make fun of him for a while. <laughs> it's hard not to. He has some truths. He has some things that he nails on the head. I mean, he gets it, some of it, but like by accident a lot of times. And uh, so anyway, this chapter 31 is Job trying to finish up his um, defense, his righteous defense against all they've said about him. He's been summing up his case. And his question is simply this, as he goes through maybe five or six different sins that it could be that's causing all this pain in his life, he names them off um, out loud and says, I haven't been guilty of this, and I haven't been guilty of that. And he goes through these things just to be on the record, you know. It's not that I haven't thought about these sins. I go through these things in my mind. All of us do. I think every day uh, before you go to bed or Sometime throughout the day, you, you go over your conversations again. That could be a bad habit, too, and a dangerous thing to do, but sometimes we do that. Go over it. Could I have said things better? Could I have done things differently? Did I do everything I should have done? And so on. Well, he's doing that, and he just wants them to know that I have thought about these things. I understand that, for the most part, bad things happen to people who need to be corrected. I get that. And, and my God is no different. He wants to come alongside as a father and chastise me, and he hits on that. But I, for the life of me, Job says, I can't figure out what it is. Otherwise, I'd confess. So here's this last chapter. I've made a covenant with my eyes. Why then should I look upon a young woman? For what is the allotment of God from above and the inheritance of the Almighty from on high? Is it not destruction for the wicked and disaster for the workers of iniquity? Does he not see my ways and count all my steps? 
He's saying there in the first four verses, I know that judgment waits for everybody. I'm not, you know, I'm not ignorant of that fact. And that's what causes me to walk in righteousness. Not because I don't want to get punished necessarily, although that's a, a pretty good incentive. I said, I know this is displeasing to the one I love. And so I don't want to do those things because it's displeasing to the one I love. But I know that. Because I know that the destiny in the, for all of this is to stand before God and that those who do wickedness, well, they get destruction and disaster. So I don't want that. So I know that. And that's probably a pretty, pretty healthy way to look at life. I mean, I think a lot of Christians and, well, anybody forgets sometimes that, look, if this is really a sin that's punishable by hell, do I really want to be dabbling in it? And yet, Sometimes we just kind of put that eternal punishment off and think, well, I could dabble in it a little bit. We don't really connect those two all the time. What I'm about to do caused Christ to have to die on the cross. And we can sometimes justify it and all that, but we're really not thinking it through. We're not being logical about it, you know? And that's all Job is saying. He goes, I'm logical about this. I understand these things lead to destruction, so I don't do them. Verse 5, if I have walked with falsehood, or if my foot has hastened to deceit, let me be weighed on honest scales that God may know my integrity. If my step is turned from the way, or my heart walked after my eyes, or if any spot adheres to my hands, then let me sow and another eat. Yes, let my harvest be rooted out. I'm all for that. If I've done anything wrong, then I, I expect there to be no reward for my sin. And so, of course, you know, take it away from me. I, I, I accept my my fate here. If my heart has been enticed by a woman, or if I have lurked at my neighbor's door, then let my wife grind for another, and let others bow down over her, for that would be wickedness. Yes, it would be iniquity deserving of judgment, for that would be a fire that consumes to destruction and would root out all my increase. He understands that. If I've let my eyes wander, if I was window shopping a little too long, hanging out with my neighbor's wife and all that, I, may my wife leave me and go grind and mill for some other man. And may he have her, and I don't. I understand that. Take her away from me. I don't deserve her then, is the idea. He loves his wife. As much as we gave her a hard time at the beginning of all this, he does love his wife. And I think she loves him too. I really do. Because later on in the end of this, we see them have lots more children together. You know, there's... There's something there. They're just going through a rough time. But anyway, he says, look, if I've done this, if I've fallen into this trap of looking at other women and falling into the trap of desiring something other than what God has given me, my wife, then take her away. I understand that why she would leave. I deserve that because I know that that is a huge sin to do something like that. And it's, it's, it would root out and destroy all that I have if I let that fester in my life. Absolutely. He agrees with the punishment And yet the idea of this verse 1 through 12 is, I haven't done that. Verse 13, if I have despised the cause of my male or female servant when they complained against me, what then shall I do when God rises up? When he punishes, how shall I answer him? Did not he who made me in the womb make them? Did not the same one fashion us in the womb? He's all for equality. Not necessarily equity, he understands that He's the boss and they're the employees, and yet he understands that's just a matter of God's decision, pretty much. I'm the guy in charge, but I I, I fully understand that they're equal to me in value to God. 
They may be working for me. They may be my servants, but that doesn't make them less people. And so I understand that. And so, so when they complain about me, I listen up. I'm not so prideful that I, I'm untouchable. You know, you can't criticize me. No, I, what am I going to do when I stand before God? I know he made us both. So he understands that. And he says, I haven't done that. I've listened to the complaints of my servants. Um, I've listened to them as uh, I've taken them in, you know, self-criticism. Good, good. If I have kept the poor from their desire or caused the eye of the widow to fail or eaten my morsel by myself so that the fatherless could not eat of it, but from my youth I reared him as a father. And from my mother's womb I guided the widow. Always been that kind of person. I've always had that heart for people, he's saying. Whenever I saw someone that didn't have a mom or dad or something like that, and I was able to take care of these kids, bring them in. I mean, like the original foster care without the organization, you know, kind of thing. Just taking in kids off the street. You, you stay with me like that. I know people like that. I'm proud to know people like that, that have that kind of heart. When it comes to widows, my goodness, I've always taken care of them. I've always guided the widow. I've always done what I could for her. Who's taking care of so-and-so down the street, you know? He would say to his mom, well, I don't know who's going to get the water out of the well for it today. Well, I'll do it. I'd run down there and do that, you know? The original Boy Scout, without the organization, just did it, you know? He says, I've always done that. I've, he's had a spirit and a heart of generosity his whole life. He's been a blessing to everybody around him. He's not boasting. He's just saying, it's just fact. You can just look at back at my history, and this is me. This is who I am. I'm defined by this, and everybody knows this. That's my reputation. Everybody's got a reputation. Anybody can make an accusation against somebody. It can be a false accusation, and that's where your reputation for what you honestly do and what everybody has seen you do in the community, they balance those two things out. Well, I don't know. It doesn't seem like him. You know, He's got this great reputation. I've always taken care of the poor, the fatherless, I've always taken care of widows. If his heart has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with fleece of my, um, oh, hold on, yeah, verse 19. If I have seen anyone perish for lack of clothing or any poor man without covering, if his heart has not blessed me, and if he was not warmed with the fleece of my sheep, if I have raised my hand against the fatherless when I saw I had help in the gate, then let my arm fall from my shoulder, let my arm be torn from my socket, For destruction from God is a terror to me. And because of his magnificence, I cannot endure. Kind of an extreme thing to say, but he's like, if I'm not using my arms to bring God glory, then take them from me. This is good. I mean, you know, if my feet aren't taking me into people's path to help them, then I guess I don't need my feet. They're only good for me. They're not good for other people and so on. So he's being very honest about himself. If I have made gold my hope or said to find gold, you are my confidence If I have rejoiced because my wealth was great and because my hand had gained much, if I have observed the sun when it shines or the moon moving in brightness so that in my heart, or so that my heart has been secretly enticed and my mouth has kissed my hand. That's a vivid picture for me. I underlined that. This also would be an iniquity deserving of judgment for I would have denied God who is above. You just see him saying, man, isn't my life great? You know, <laughs> you know, it's all me kind of thing. That's what we would, I think we'd do that today. I don't know. Um, I got to check with Ivan. Is that what we do today? <laughs> so, yes. 
That's old. That's, that's too old, isn't it? I, it's uncomfortable when old people do these things, isn't it? I'm sorry. <laughs> but that's the idea. I'm a self-made man. No. I mean, you know, I want to be careful because he's not saying that there wasn't some dedication on his part. There, there wasn't, he's not saying that he, he wasn't faithful. He's not saying that he didn't strive to be a good businessman and a good employer and all these things. And so therefore, uh, through fairness and, and all this, uh, life treated him fair, but in, 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 in more than fair because he was a good, honest person. You know, people wanted to do business with good, honest people like this. So he's doing well because, well... He didn't put gold first. He's always put people first. It isn't about maximizing the profits. It was about making sure that I had a good product and I made sure that they had what they needed. And then I followed up with good service afterwards. And I don't know what he did. I mean, I'm just saying, it's not that he, I don't know. I just woke up and the lottery hit me. He's not saying that. He's not saying God just dumped money in my lap. He is saying though that I, I am following God's principles, and therefore, this is what's happened in my life. And I give God all the glory for that because he's the one that gave me the principles. I don't kiss my own hand. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me or lifted myself up when evil found him, um, I have to laugh a little bit about, are my kids in the room? Oh, man. Talk about convicting. This is really hard to say, but, you know, this is what I got to do. I did this. I mean, it was just like last night. Like not last night, the night before I think it was, I did this. I was looking at Facebook, and and you're going to be like, you're kind of a creep. I know. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but something just clicked, triggered me from way back in high school. I read about these guys. Some of my friends were back in Sioux City, old friends. I haven't seen them in 30-plus years. I've never gone to a reunion in my life. And it's not that I don't like them. It's just, hey, I don't know. So snap towels at each other in locker rooms still. What are we doing? I mean, go get on with life. Anyway, so I read these guys. They say, oh, yeah, we're, we're all out at the bars, man, and we're celebrating this guy who just died. Like, how do I know that name? How can I not picture this guy? Oh, he's a year older. Oh, he's a year older. Oh, it's that guy. That's the guy that punched me at the basketball game. And Doug Luce had to come and get this kid off of me because I couldn't beat him. He was beating me up. And all these guys at the... And I almost did like a dance on the grave thing in my bedroom. I was like, oh, sorry, you're dead. Sorry, you're dead. I'm like, and my kids are going, dad, what are you doing? And Jenny's going, you know, she's kind. She's going, yeah, what are you doing? Do that. I'm like, what? You know, I'm alive and he's not. And, well, and I started feeling, and Bo goes, well, that's okay, mom. He can, I'm like, uh, yeah, no, it's not okay, son. He goes, that's all right, dad. When you die, someone's going to do the same thing about you. <laughs> shut up Bo (laughs) you know (laughs) he's right he's right I didn't dance well as I looked into a little bit further they probably committed suicide is what it was yeah 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 horrible horrible thing and totally you know just as soon as Bo said that I'm like oh no buddy I I don't wish anybody did I'm not and as I read about the timing of it and the day that it happened and it was in the hospital and it was sudden and he left his dog behind and had nobody else 
And it's, you know, it's just not a very, it wasn't a good thing. Um, well, and then, of course, then, you know, the next Sunday morning that I teach, here's what I get. If I have rejoiced at the destruction of him who hated me, or lifted myself up when evil found him, indeed, I have not allowed my mouth to sin by asking for a curse on his soul. If the men of my tent have not said, who is there that has not been satisfied with his meat, but no sojourner had to lodge in the street, for I have opened my doors to the traveler. I've taken care of people. I don't rejoice when those who hate me, you know, um, anyway, very, Job is saying, I've thought all these things through. I, I can't even think of a time when I've done that. Been happy that bad things have happened to people that wished bad things for me, you know. I'm just not that kind of person. Job isn't that kind of person, you know. So when God nominates him and says, this is the most righteous man on the earth right now, he's, there's none better. You see that here, you know. You can see that. Verse 33, if I have covered my transgression as Adam, meaning with fig leaves, by hiding my iniquity in my bosom, because I feared the great multitude and dreaded the contempt of families so that I kept silence and did not go out the door, oh, that I had one to hear me, here's my mark. And that's why I shared with you the story that I just shared with you. It's because I want to follow up with, well, I did do 29 and 30, but I want to make sure that I do 33 and 34. When that happens, you know, it doesn't make it okay. It doesn't make it right, but it makes me honest. You know, I'm not trying to cover it up. It was wrong. And, you know, the family called me on it as they should. And it was, it's a blessing to learn that lesson. You know, Job's just saying, Hey, when I did sin, I always brought it out. I wasn't afraid of being caught. I wasn't afraid of, of, of people thinking ill will of me or families that think of me a bad person. You know, I wanted it out there. Oh, that the Almighty would answer me. And my prosecutor, capital P, God, had written a book. Surely I would carry it on my shoulder and bind it on me like a crown. I would declare to him the number of my steps. Like a prince, I would approach him. If my land cries out against me and its furrows weep together, if I have eaten its fruit without money or caused its owners to lose their lives, then let thistles grow instead of wheat and weeds instead of barley. The words of Job are ended. That's it. If I've done any of these things, if I've achieved anything, if I've gained anything in this world through deceit, then I pray that it would not produce anything for me. I pray that I would, I would, I would get that back in, in, in thorns, you know, that it wouldn't be a blessing. Chapter 32. So these three men ceased answering Job. They tried to convince him that he was a sinner. He didn't believe them. He didn't confess. And so they stopped because he was righteous in his own eyes. Then the wrath, the wrath of Elihu, the son of um, Barakel, I don't know if that's right. The Buzzite, we do know who that is. That's from Genesis 22. Um, uh, Abraham's brother had two sons, one was Buzz. And so this is that guy. So we've got the time frame down here a little bit. It's right at the time of Abraham. Um, is when this book was uh, written, or the story anyway. Then the wrath of Elihu, the son of um, Barakel, the Buzzite of the family of Ram, was aroused against Job. His wrath was aroused because he justified himself rather than God. Also against his three friends, his wrath was aroused because they found no answer and yet had condemned Job. 
Now, because they were years older than he, Elihu had waited to speak to Job. When Elihu saw that there was no answer in the mouth of these three men, his wrath was aroused. So Elihu, the son of um, Barakel, uh, the Buzzite, answered and said, I am young in years, and you are very old. Therefore, I was afraid. I dared not declare my opinion to you. I said, age should speak, and multitude of years should teach wisdom. But there is a spirit in man, and the breath of the Almighty gives him understanding. Great men are not always wise, nor do the aged always understand justice. It's a true thing. I was uh, ran across Google, I think their search engine put um, um, Stephen Hawking's 80th birthday up there for a while there. I'm like, I thought he was dead. Well, he is He's dead. They just keep celebrating birthdays even after they're dead, which is bizarre to me, but okay. Um, so I, I clicked on it and I watched the little thing that they did for him and he narrates it. And um, it's really interesting to, to watch. And so I couldn't sleep last night because I was so convicted about the previous chapter. So I'm laying there saying, how in the world, maybe I'm too sick to go teach tomorrow. Maybe someone else can cover these chapters for me. And so I got some light reading. Um, I read uh, the, it's a magazine. It's a Quanta Mag magazine, Quanta magazine. It's not light reading. It's, that's kind of a joke. It's, it's meant for people that are probably a part of the Mensa club. It's definitely not for me. You jump into this pool of brilliant people and I've got like water wings on. I'm just floating around the ocean. I have no idea what you're talking about, but it's really cool, whatever it is. So I jump in and I'm, and I'm reading this thing about some of the theories from Big Bang and then Stephen Hawking's letter uh, that he wrote in, I think it was 1980s, when he came up with his theory of, uh, well, actually, inflation came first. That was in 1980. No Boundaries was his paper, 1983. Um, and uh, so the Big Bang starts with uh, your, what's the word, uh, singularity. You have a point where everything starts, and it kind of flares out like this. Well, he... He hated that, and they don't like that because they're trying to figure out how the universe works, and we keep coming up with the same old question, you know, yeah, but what before then? Yeah, but what before then? Yeah, but what before then? And he says, let's just get rid of it. So he got rid of time. <laughs> okay. He just got rid of time. And he made this, instead of having a singularity, he made it look more like uh, they called a shuttlecock, you know, for, for badminton, and how it goes like that, and it just rounds. And so this is time, and as time gets to this point, you don't care, but you got to listen anyway. You get to this point right here, there is no time. It's just kind of, it's flat, and it flares out. Well, all the models they run, everything they run, it ends up being chaos. It's not this smooth, beautiful thing that we have of the universe. And so in order for this to take place, so I'm reading this, I'm getting sleepy, you know, obviously. I don't know what you're talking about. Um, and I got to thinking about this very thing. It's the great men. And they are great. I mean, my goodness. Their, their IQs, amazing. I think Stevens was 160 or something like that. To be a part of Mensa, you have to be 132. Just, I mean, you know. There's a little eight-year-old girl, by the way, I found this out. This is a bright note in the story today. A little eight-year-old girl in Mexico has got a, a 162 IQ. be interesting to see what God does with her, you know. That mind just waiting to... Amazing. But not all the great men are wise because the whole point of all the theories was this. And I have a hard time with these guys because they're just studying the hardware. They're, they're studying the hardware. They're studying the, this. They're not studying the software. They can't ever account for that. 
And so although they could probably describe it or they could come to some conclusion, even in their own words, they have a hard time saying, well, later on in the universe, but you just got rid of time. What do you mean later on? You can't get rid of it. You can't explain it away because you don't like the question, what happened before? Let's get rid of the word before. You can't just take away the question because it bothers you. It does bother them. It's got to be an explanation outside of, outside of there being a creator to them. And it's frustrating to watch this IQ that's so, and you could see why maybe Stephen would be bitter. I don't know if you know him. He, he was to a wheelchair from the age of 21. He started going into decline and has to speak through a computer and is paralyzed and has to have people care for him. And you could see there would be bitterness there. And I'm not sure that that's the cause of it all, but of his atheism, but um, it's, it's there. Great mind, but, but not wise because he, even if you did come up with the answer, you haven't taken care of the software problem. Who did the programming? Who wrote the code? Who, who, who put that? And, and then, the, then there's a third step beyond that is who, who the self-awareness, you know, that's, it's, it's, it's poetry versus hardware. It's, it's philosophy versus hardware. You can't, you've got to have all of that. And you, just because you figured out, maybe it looks like a shuttlecock. Everybody looking at the picture says, yeah, but what about all this over here? You know, the nothingness. That's nothing, but it's something because we can call it nothing. And you get into philosophy then and you just, they're not always wise. Or do the aged always understand justice? They don't get it. And he's true. Back in the 70s or 60s, I, some of you would know better than I, but isn't the, wasn't the phrase, don't trust anybody over the age of 30? Is that right? Over the age of 30, I think was what it was. And then those people got to be 31, you know. Well, you can still trust me. You know, I still got long hair. You know, yeah, I don't know. Well, there's that attitude that many have that the old people are just established and they're hard and they're crusty and they're not open to. And that's what this kid is saying. You, you old guys should have had the answer, but let this young guy step in and speak because great men are not always wise. So he's going to insult everybody here. Verse 10. Therefore, I say, listen to me. I also will declare my opinion. Indeed, I waited for your words. I listened to your reasonings while you searched out what to say. I paid close attention to you, and surely not one of you convinced Job or answered his words, lest you say we have found wisdom. God will vanquish him, not man. Now he has not directed his words against me, so I will not answer him with your words. They are dismayed. And answer no more. Words escape them. And I have waited because they did not speak. Neither is he. We're still waiting for him to start. You know, because they stood still and answered no more. I also will answer my part. I, I too will declare my opinion. Promise? I, for I am full of words. Yeah. <laughs> the spirit within me compels me. Indeed, my belly is like wine that has no vent. It is ready to burst like new wineskin. I will speak that I may find relief. I must open my lips and answer. Let me not, I pray, show partiality to anyone, nor let, my, let me flatter any man, for I do not know how to flatter, else my maker would soon take me away. Dun, dun, dun. You know, <laughs> I hope I don't flatter. Believe me, you're not, buddy. Nobody's happy with you right now in this group. Proverbs warns us that a fool vents all of his feelings. I'm all for sharing feelings when they need to be shared, when it's helpful, but a lot of times it's not. 
Not getting everything off of our chest is that important, and it doesn't help a lot of people. Sometimes we need to take these things to the Lord in prayer and let him deal with those things in our hearts first. And, and maybe that's where it ends a lot of times. It doesn't have to be spoken out loud. Um, and other times it does need to be shared. But for the most part, um, when he says that, only a fool vents all of his feelings. You know, he's about to do that. He's about to just let it all out. And he's not going to say anything. I've read through it. It's not saying anything new. You know, none of it's new. None of it's convincing. None of it, no, there's no aha moments in it. It's just like, he just wants to talk. But please, Job, hear my speech <laughs> and listen to all my words. Now I open my mouth. My tongue speaks in my mouth. My words come from my upright heart. He literally just did what Job did in verse 3. Job has been declaring his own righteousness the whole time. And this guy finds fault with the fact that Job's been declaring his own righteousness the whole time. And so in order to emphasize his point, he declares his own righteousness. My words come from my upright heart, says who? If we're not taking Job's word for it, why do we take your word for it? My lips utter pure knowledge. (laughs) Okay. The spirit of God has made me and the breath of the almighty gives me life. That's true. If you can answer, or if you can answer me, set your words in order before me. Take your stand. Truly, I am your spokesman before God. I also have been formed out of clay. Surely no fear of me will terrify you, nor will my hand be heavy on you. Surely you have spoken in my hearing, and I have heard the sound of your words, saying, I am pure without transgression. I am innocent, and there is no iniquity in me. Yet he finds occasions against me. He counts me as his enemy. He puts my feet in the stocks. And watches all my paths. So what he's saying there, and I, he is right to an extent. He says, I've been listening to you talk. And Job, you've been saying that you've never done anything wrong. And that you find yourself in these positions that God is punishing you. And so what he's done is he's taken Job's assertion, which is wrong, that God is punishing him. And he's used it against him then in the argument. See, you're, you're the one who told me that you're being chastised by God. What are you being chastised for? Well, that's where it all falls apart. God isn't chastising him. Job's just made a guess, and so he's using it against him here. Verse 12, look, in this you are not righteous. I will answer you, for God is greater than man. Why do you contend with him? For he does not give an accounting of any of his words. For God may speak in one way or in another, yet man does not perceive it. In a dream, in a vision of the night, When deep sleep falls upon men while slumbering on their beds, then he opens the ears of men and seals their instruction in in order to turn man from his deed and conceal pride from man. And that's true. 16 and 17 are are something that we hold on to. It's it's out of Hebrews that um, that's how you know you're his is when God chastises you as a kid. If you're getting spanked by the Lord, praise the Lord. I mean, it's not, it's painful, but it's meant to yield the peaceable fruit of righteousness in you. It's meant to bring about in you uh, a correction or whatever. And that's what he's saying. And he's right there. When God speaks, he's doing it for purpose of sealing instruction to turn a man from his deeds and to conceal pride from man. So God does chastise us as believers to get us going in the right direction. And I think, I think we know that. And so I, I give him points for that one. That's true. He keeps back his soul from the pit and his life from perishing by the sword. Man is also uh, chastened with pain on his bed and with strong pain in many of his bones so that his life abhors bread 
and his soul succulent food. His flesh wastes away from sight and his bones stick out, which once were seen. Yes, his soul draws near the pit and his life to the executioner. Um, uh, Very descriptive, very colorful, um, but not always true. Um, you know, just because someone has cancer doesn't mean that they've done something wrong. You know, just because they have an illness that is taking away their appetites or whatever, they're wasting away to nothing. It doesn't mean that there's something inherently sinful about that person. You know, it, life happens to people. It just does. And, and to make that jump is, is what they've been making. They've been doing that throughout this whole book is just this assumption that bad things happen to bad people. Good things happen to good people. And that's not always the case. Um, If there is a messenger, verse 23, for him, a mediator, one among a thousand, to show man his uprightness, then he is gracious to him and says, deliver him from going down to the pit. I have found a ransom. His flesh shall be young like a child's. He shall return to the days of his youth. He shall pray to God and he will delight in him. He shall see his face with joy for he restores to man his righteousness, which is what's going to happen here. That's all going to be happening here. And what, what the guy is saying, what this Elihu is saying is if there's a mediator, one in a thousand, if someone could come up with a reason for this guy to be healed, God would do it. That's all I need to hear. In other words, Elihu is on God's side on all of this saying, first of all, he's righteous, he's perfect, everything he says is right. And he's this kind of God looking for a reason to restore people. I like that. And I think that's absolutely true. I think God is looking for reasons not to destroy. He's not wanting to hammer people. He's looking for reasons to bring them back as any father does for any of his kids. Give me a reason. Just give me a good reason to bring you back. I'd love to have you back. And so he says that verse 27. Then he looks at men and says, I have sinned and perverted what was right. And it did not profit me. He will redeem his soul from going down to the pit and his life shall see the light. It's all he's waiting for, just a little repentance, a little sorrow, a little anguish of heart over what you've done. Behold, God works all these things twice, in fact, three times with a man to bring back his soul from the pit that he may enlighten uh, with the light of life. Not only do you get second chances, he says, God gives you third chances. He's right, you know. Now, these aren't aha moments. That's what I meant. I mean, Everybody in this group kind of knows that. They're just not all putting it together, you know, as they're talking to Job. They've got this idea about Job and his hidden sins, and, um, and they want to be right. It's amazing. When someone wants to be right, even though, you're, even though they're, they're not, they'll go to the ends of the earth to make sure that they don't look like they were wrong. It's amazing, you know. Just own it, you know. These three guys are wrong. This young kid, you're wrong, and God's going to say so at the end here. Um, but when he hits on this, it, it is true. And, and, and it isn't just two times or three times with God. You know, and that's why Jesus brought that up to Peter. He says, how, you know, how many times should I forgive somebody? Up to seven times? And Peter says, oh, or, you know, God says, Jesus says to Peter, no, 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 70 times seven, Peter. That's a lot. You know, it's not three chances. It's 490 and then some is the idea. If they want to repent, let them. Always let them to bring back his soul from the pit. That's God's heart. Verse 31, give here, give ear, Job. Listen to me. Hold your peace and I will speak. You have anything to say, answer me. Speak, for I desire to justify you. If not, listen to me. Hold your peace and I will teach you wisdom. I didn't understand any of that. 
I'm reading that. I'm going, I, but Job, I mean, stop me if I'm wrong. Tell me if I'm wrong. Don't stop me. I got a lot to say here. Listen to what I have to say. But tell me what you want to, you know, I make fun of him. I, he's trying to be poetic, and he's trying to say things, and uh, it's his turn, I guess. Um, but what a frustrating moment. I, I I wish I could see the faces of all the other four guys here, Job for one, and the other three guys sitting there listening to him, what that would look like, you know. As he's standing up, I can see him waving his arms. You know, I don't know why I picture him waving his arms and stomping back and forth, but that's what I get from this. Um, He's going to go on for chapter 34, 35, 36, and then finally, uh, 37 is the last time he speaks, and chapter 38 is when God steps in. So we have something to look forward to. We have a goal. We've got... I'll try to do all four next week if I can get all those in, and that way we can start. But it's almost like I want to do 37 and 38. I want to, I want to make the switch in a teaching, so I'm still. So maybe next week we'll get through 36, and then the week after that we'll do 37 and 38 and get into God a little bit, uh, where wisdom shows up. It's such a blessing. I had lost my Bible for like three weeks. I could not figure out where it was. And I've been taking one off the shelf over here. I don't want to buy one off the shelf, but I'm taking one out of the box. I'm placing it here. I'm looking at it. I've been closing it up, putting it back on the shelf. Hopefully you guys would buy it or something like that. I didn't want to, I not want to damage it. And I'm sitting there watching, uh, we watched Seabiscuit last night. The kids and I, we all watched Seabiscuit to see a nice underdog movie. And, um, I'm sitting there and I got up like, I, I shot up out of the couch like a squirrel because I remember where my Bible was, you know? <laughs> Um, I ran to the white car that's had a flat tire. It's in the garage. And I looked in the back and it was back and had fallen down the seats. You know, I found my Bible. Um, it, it means a lot, you know, when God has his wisdom right there for us. And not that I couldn't read it someplace else. We've got a lot of Bibles in the house, but there's something about this one's familiar. I know where everything is, you know, it's creature habit kind of thing. I love God's word. I'm so looking forward to verse uh, one of chapter 38 when God steps in and begins to, I mean, he, he, he's the software designer. He's the code. He, he's the one, he's the writer. He's, he's the guy that gives us life, gives us our intelligence, um, sets our boundaries. He's the one that designed all of it. Um, he's our maker, you know, and when he begins to speak and describe it helps us understand who we are and why we are and what to do with what we are. You know, I love it. Um, as I read that paper and I contrast it with what I read about what, what God reveals to us through his word, it, it's, it's not mystical. It's not bizarre. It's not strange. It's not juxtaposed. It's just you guys just don't want to know that there's a God because this Bible and your paper go together perfectly if you let them, if you just let them but you so hate God and so do not want him a part of that. You are willing to deny yourself the truth. Uh, the answer, you know, it's right there. And it, the, the Bible and science just go together just beautifully. I love it when you mesh them too. So that's why I love when we're going to get into this and, and we're going to have communion now. I don't, I don't have a good segue for that, but um, we're going to have some time where, I mean, you want to talk about a singularity, when Jesus died on the cross, we mark time off of that. It's like at that moment, past, present, the future, you know, that's the moment. Not from over here, boom, and everything happened. It's from Christ dying on the cross. That's all history and that's all future kind of thing. 
um, Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And so when we have this time here and we begin to uh, remember what this is about and why Christ gave this to us. Um, thank you, Jerry. Mm, tight. When, uh, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, this is when they're all having their Passover meal together. They're in the upper room. Um, they're enjoying time with their Lord. It's a little mysterious that night. Judas is doing weird things. Everybody's doing kind of weird things. Nobody's sure. He's talking about someone's going to betray him, and everybody's wondering if it's them or not. There's a little bit of confusion. But in the middle of this, he's having this meal with them, the Passover meal, reminding them of the time when the angel of death in the land of Egypt passed over all the houses of those who placed the blood of the lamb on the doorposts of their of their homes. And it's very important because that was a confusing night also. As everybody was wondering what this meant, and Moses is going and telling all the leaders, get everybody inside. Here's what you got to do. There's an angel of death that's coming through, but we can avoid the penalty of this death if you'll just do what God tells you to do. You need to take a lamb. You need to bring him into your home for a certain amount of time. But after that time, I want you to sacrifice him and, and take that blood and, and sprinkle it on the doorposts of there and then eat all the food inside the house and make sure you stay behind that door. Stay inside. Stay behind that blood. So Jesus takes this meal where they're celebrating that moment in time and he's looking at them and he says, um, as he breaks the bread and hands it to me, he says, take and eat. This is my body broken for you. As often as you eat this bread, do this in remembrance of me. And they took the cup that they were drinking. He says, I want you to take and eat. This is my blood that's shed for you. As often as you drink this, do this in remembrance of me. It's, it's, a, it's a big moment for them. I don't know that they got it. But hopefully we do today that he's our Passover lamb. And we apply him, the blood of his sacrifice at the cross to the doorposts of our lives. And the angel of death will not come through those doors. We're protected. It doesn't matter who's on the other side of those doors. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter the sins you've committed. It doesn't matter how far away from God you've become or are maybe still running from God. That can all end today if you don't know Jesus. You simply believe on him. You believe. How is the blood of a lamb going to stop the angel of death from coming in my house, they might have said in Egypt. And Moses would say, I don't know. God said so. Just do it. It works. So they did. The blood of Jesus Christ is in the sacrifice that took place on that cross is, I mean, it's something to think about. It's something to contemplate. Spend time on in your mind. Why? And what purpose? And how? What does it mean by the first Adam brought sin in and the last Adam, Jesus, takes away this sin? And by one man, sin entered, but also by one man, sins are forgiven. How does that work? And so Jesus tried to pull this together earlier on in John chapter 3. It's like, the, like Moses when he lifted up the serpent in the wilderness and all who were bitten by these serpents, all that were dying from the curse, they just look at that pole, they'd be healed. I don't know the mechanics behind it all. They didn't understand the medicine behind it all. But those who looked, it says, which means some didn't, were healed. This morning, we hold in our hands a memory, something that's to remind us of that moment in time, that singularity, that moment when Christ died on the cross. And he died for the sins of the world, past sins and future sins. He died for it all, once. And we hold in our hands that 
opportunity to remember that, that that's how I get into heaven. That because Christ died on the cross for my sins, I don't pay the penalty for my sins anymore, no matter what I've done. I just, I believe and I apply it to the doorposts of my life. And now I know I'm protected from death. I know that I have forever with him. I know I have forgiveness of sins. It's a beautiful thing. And I remember that. And there's a mystery to it. And I like that too. It's okay to have that, you know. Um, I like that his salvation is so great that it's bigger than my little mind, you know, but it works. So let's take some time and we'll think about the Lord here and then we'll eat and drink together. Lord, we pray that you bless this bread, bless this cup. Thank you for it, what it represents. We honor you in this day, in this moment, for what you did on the cross for us. Lord, for those that may not know you this morning but want to know you, want to make you their Lord and Savior, Jesus, forgive me for my sins. I know that my sins have separated me from you. Yet you knew that I was no way for me to get to heaven. You made a way. And you sent your son to pay for my sins on the cross. And it was no longer I that was going to have the death penalty over me. Your son took that death penalty for me. And I believe that this morning. I accept you as my Lord and Savior. I receive that forgiveness of sins, and I thank you for it. Lord, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and the time we've had in it this morning, and it feeds us. It really does. It fixes us. It does what it always was intended to do. When we take it into our lives and we absorb it, when we listen and hear and receive with gladness, um, it helps. It changes us. So we thank you for what you've changed in our hearts this morning, whether it was little or big. We thank you for this moment with you. We pray for more of these throughout this week as we study, as we read on our own, as we get prepared for other Bible studies or whatever with friends and family or here at this church. Um, We pray that you'd always speak. Your Holy Spirit would always be active and would minister to us like you did this morning here. Lord, bless these people as they go. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.